Would you pray with me? Lord, we, uh, for these truths we sing, we thank you that um, uh, you call us to turn our eyes on Jesus. And in him is fullness of life and forgiveness of sin. Um, And in him is peace. In him is help. So thank you for Jesus. Father, we pray that we would just sit in just the reality of knowing Christ and being known by Christ, that Christ would fill all in all, and that we could say Christ is our life. I pray, Father, this evening, um, a prayer of healing um, over Sue Ann, who uh, bust her head open this morning. Lord, we pray healing. Uh, we pray that everything would heal back correctly, Lord. Uh, just we pray your hand upon her. Father, I also pray for our good brother Richard, who's been dealing with uh, just the remnants of shingles and the just leftover effects of the pain and itching. Lord, I just pray a special hand of healing on his head, on his eye, Lord. Father, we just pray your hand upon him and just healing by your grace. Lord, we know you care about these things, and so Lord, we give them to you. And Lord, we pray you would bless our tithe, our offering, all that you call us to give, we give joyfully to your kingdom in obedience. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated there. Um, Well, friends, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 13 again this week. We're going to finish out this chapter, verses 11 to 18. Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 to 18. Verse 11, John Writes, then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who is understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. I've had this summer... Uh, which has been a hot summer, hasn't it? And it won't end. Um, I've had house flies really bad. It drives me crazy, um, house flies. And so I eventually went to the store and I got these fly traps and I hung them out in the backyard like it said to do. And uh, let me tell you, it works. I've got hundreds of flies in these containers and it's disgusting. Um, but the way that it works is there's some horrid, nasty smelling bait in there. It makes you gag if you get around it. Um, and the flies go in the trap. They can't get back out. It's classic deception. They're lured in by what they think will be good for them, but at the end, it kills them. It's deception. And last week, we, we began talking about this great deception of, of Satan's final moves to bring his kingdom 
uh, his attempts to overwhelm the earth through his antichrist. And if that didn't seem bad enough, it's, it's that much worse because we get a second beast. We get a second beast. And this second beast's purpose is to establish this kingdom through deception. Verse 11 says, Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth, had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. So we're going from the dragon, who is Satan, and the beast, who is the Antichrist, to the second beast. And the second beast seems, as it will, pretty innocent, pretty mild, non-aggressive, because lambs are about the most non-aggressive, gentle creature you could think of. Have you ever heard of someone running for their life from a lamb? No. Uh, You do that from a raging bull or a bear or something like that. Yet the second beast is only superficially gentle and harmless. For it speaks like a dragon. Because ultimately, it's from the dragon, Satan, that it gets its power from which it comes. And as the dragon is a worker of deception, so the beast, the Antichrist is, and so is this great Deceiver, the second beast. And just as the first beast had the prerogative to draw all nations to worship the dragon in itself, verse 12 tells us that this this second beast, his sole priority is not even to receive glory and worship. The, The sole priority of the second beast is to get worship for the first beast from all the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 12 tells us. He beguiles, he charms, and even uses force if he has to use force to get worship for the beast. So so its power, its authority comes directly from the first beast and it causes the non-believing world to worship. So obviously we want to ask this question, who is Who is that? Who is this second beast? And I want to read Mounts. He says, If the first beast was the uh, the power of Rome, whose insistence on worshiping the emperor was beginning to threaten the early church, the second beast most certainly represents the imperial priesthood that assisted Rome in propagating the imperial cult. This priestly role identifies the second beast as a religious power. In John's day, the reference would be either to the local priests of the imperial cult or to the provincial council responsible for enforcing emperor worship throughout Asia. John clearly saw Rome and emperor worship as the primary cause for the church's suffering. As Christ received um, authority from the Father, so the Antichrist receives authority from the dragon. And as the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ, so the false prophet glorifies the Antichrist. So elsewhere in Revelation as we go, this second beast is referred to as the false prophet. And you see him multiple times serving the purposes and the agenda of the first beast. So the first beast claimed what? What did we say last week? Political governmental dominance. The second beast, on behalf of the Antichrist, claims religious superiority for him. All people must, one way or another, worship the Antichrist. What is he then? What is he really then, the second beast? He's an advocate. He's an advocate. Advocating for the kingdom of Satan. And he does it through a spirit of Deception. I want to say to you that this this third beast, this false prophet, then is a false advocate. Just as the Antichrist is a false messiah. And this false advocate attempts to do his work, one, through false signs and wonders. False signs and wonders. Verse 13, it says, 
It, before, it performs great signs and even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So when you, when you think about fire coming down from heaven, probably if you're remotely familiar with the Old Testament, you immediately think of the prophet Elijah. This is one of the great stories of the Old Testament, really. And if you remember what happened there, um, the, the, the false gods of, of the Gentiles, the Canaanites, were the Baals, and the prophets uh, had, had, had drawn away the people of God to worship the false god, these Baals. And Elijah shows up, and he says, let's put it to a test. Let, let's see who can, who can make this, this altar you know, set ablaze. And they cut themselves and all this, and they're crying out to the false gods. It doesn't happen. He's mocking them the whole time. And then Elijah calls down fire from heaven. What, what the... The false prophet is doing here, what this third, the second beast is doing here is, is creating a parody of that. I love how Gordon Fee says that everything that he does is a parody of, of what God does. And it's, it's seen just as clear in Exodus when you think about the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh's uh, magicians. It says in Exodus chapter 7, Pharaoh summoned the wise men, the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. So remember, the, the staff was cast down, and it, it became a snake, and Pharaoh says to his, his magicians, his sorcerers, hey, you can do the same thing, and they do it, but what happens to those serpents? Moses' Aaron's staff eats up theirs. And then as you go further, it gets worse for them. It says in Exodus 8.18, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats as Moses had, but they could not, so there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. When we go to Acts, there is Simon. And remember, Simon was something of a magician, of a, of a trickster who wowed people. It says, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power so that anyone on whom I lay hands receives the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. And here's verse 23. And I think verse 23 grabs the heart of of the Antichrist, of Satan, and it's right here. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. In other words, Simon wanted to be seen as great. He wanted selfishly power and praise from men. That's why he wanted to be able to do signs and wonders. Yet when we look at signs and wonders and why they were done by Jesus and why they were done by the apostles, it's a very different story. Jesus and the apostles did signs and wonders so that people would know the real presence and power of God is among you. And knowing that the real presence and power of God was among them, they would hear with open ears the gospel. Do you, do you ever remember reading about Jesus doing signs and wonders and going, that's right, y'all, I'm awesome. You should ooh and awe. You should be amazed. Do you ever remember Paul or Peter doing it to wow the crowds? Never. Signs and wonders were done so that the Word of God would have the gravity and the seriousness that it, it needed to be heard with to engender saving faith. That's why signs and wonders were done. You remember Jesus when the, when the disciples say, hey, everybody's, you know, the crowds are coming. They want to see you again. And Jesus says, no, that's not why I've come. I've come to preach the word. And he moves on. Jesus came in the power of God. The Holy Spirit came with the same power through uh, the, the apostles so that using signs and wonders, many souls would be saved. Men, women, and children. That, that's why Jesus came. That's why the true advocate came, the Holy Spirit, to save sinners. Think about what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Helper, 
The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. The Holy Spirit is a helper. He guides us into truth. He guides us into real life. He must, for in the Spirit is life alone. In the Father, in the Son is life alone. Of course, we we give worship and glory to God. One, because of intrinsic glory. So what is intrinsic glory? I'm, I'm giving God worship because no one is like Him in His holiness, in His righteousness, in His power, in His omnipotence. God created all things. Like God just deserves glory because He is God. But then I also give, God to glo- give glory to God because He has a certain glory in salvation. God the Father willed it, the Son accomplished it, and the Spirit applied the work of Christ on the cross. So there's a, there's a glory to be given for what, what God can do through, through signs, wonders, the cross, and the preaching of that and the power of the gospel. That's a, that's a glory of salvation that God wrought. What worlds did Satan create? How many planets did Satan create? What, what work of salvation has Satan wrought for fallen sinful humanity? There's no reason to give any glory to Satan for whatever pseudo-signs and wonders he does because he's done nothing deserving what only God deserves. The Spirit reveals that to us. So what is Satan left to do then? The only thing he's been doing with fallen sinful humanity since the beginning, deceive. Deceive. That's his only tactic for getting followers, for getting worshipers, is to lead people to believe, just like my, my little fly trap in the backyard, that this is good for you, but ultimately it's death, it's misery, it's destruction. So this second beast is truly, and I love how Mount says this, a minister of propaganda. He's a minister of propaganda, of lies. Truly, the masses have always fallen under the spell of Satan. Truly, today they do. And in the end times, friends, it will be no different. But I want us to stop and praise God that for you and I, it's different. It's different for you and I as Christians. Because those of us in Christ Jesus, we have a paraclete. A paraclete. That's the Greek word for helper there in that verse in John. When Jesus says, I'm sending you a helper the Holy Spirit, He said, I'm sending you a paraclete. Paraclete means helper. It means advocate. It means counselor. That's what you and I have in the Spirit so that you and I will never fall for the deception of the enemy. You and I will always be able to discern truth from error. You and I will always have this advocate uh, navigating uh, life with us in this world under the dominion of darkness. I have a counselor who's counseling and correcting and steering and preserving me. I don't think we give enough time marveling at that wonder. Like pray, We praise God and we praise Jesus, but Gosh, do we marvel that we have the very presence of the Spirit of God within us, keeping us and preserving us. That's that's such a rich spiritual truth to dwell upon. You have, Christian, a helper who points you continually heavenward to the life that is above in Christ Jesus. And it's no wonder then why, think about this, why Jesus would say what He says, given that given that we live in a world that's got a multiplicity of of schemes and tactics by the enemy, Jesus would say right after in verse 26, in verse 27, He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. What do you mean you give me peace? Can't Can't you see Jesus that Satan has all kinds of schemes? Can't you see... I'm likely to fall. Can't you see the world is under His dominion? How, Jesus, could you say, you're leaving and I could have peace? Because Jesus said, I'm sending you the paraclete. And He will be your perfect helper. So then, friends, you and I have peace through the Lord Jesus Christ because He's given us this true advocate. Though the devil be strong and his schemes diabolical, though we are weak and given to wander away, we have this 
helper from heaven, and by God's sovereign grace, He's going to preserve us from falling prey to, his, to the false advocate. You've heard of Adolf Hitler, but have you heard of Joseph um, Goebbels? Adolf Hitler, obviously, in, third of the, in charge of the Third Reich, and tried to dominate the world, and massacred the Jews and all the horrible things that happened in World War II, right? But you know why in the beginning he was so effective at mobilizing his army and country? It's because he had a man named Joseph Goebbels, and he was his minister of propaganda. He got into the German mind and heart through newspapers and radio waves and TVs, and he so effectively saturated the German people with Adolf Hitler's ideologies and plans and purposes against the Jews and against the world. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. But oh, praise the Spirit for His work within us that we are kept. Secondly, I want to say to you, you ought to test you ought to test everything you hear, every voice you hear. John says in his first epistle, test the spirits. He tells us don't just believe everything you hear, but test the spirits to see if they're from God. If you have God's Spirit in, within you, you can test it. And you don't have to have a seminary degree, just the Spirit. Um, Chase and Chris and I are going to a conference at the end of this month, and it's chock full of... of the best academics, preachers that I believe on the face of the earth, and we're excited to go, but guess what? None of them get to shape my heart and my mind. Now, I believe they're men of God, and I believe they're going to say a lot of great things, but guess what? Everything I hear has got to be tested. And that's true for you. Whatever article you read, whatever next best book is out there, whatever Christian movement's going on, whatever video or video series is happening, you've got to test Everything. I like how John Piper calls it your gospel sniffer. You know, sometimes you just go, ah, something about that seems off. I can't, I can't say it right now, but my gospel sniffer has is, is been triggered, you know? So, so both inside the walls of the church and people who are claiming to speak for Christ, and certainly then, friends, when we think about movements and culture or political parties, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a, a political voice or, or to have opinions on politics. You should... But be careful that it's not the spirit of the age. It's not a political movement that has your best heart. Be sure that everything you do is run through the filter of, okay, is this biblical? Is it the spirit of God that's governing me? That's not just our privilege in Christ Jesus. It is truly our responsibility. So test the spirits. Next, I want to say to you, um, apply the Spirit of God in all things. In other words, uh, Paul says in Philippians that he's praying for wisdom and discernment. So, so it's not enough to just go, oh, I'm a Christian, everything's going to work out. Paul is actively praying that the Philippians would have a spirit of knowledge and discernment. In other words, I can't just turn my brain on, you know, cruise control and assume things are going to work out. I'm supposed to be actively in the Spirit praying, Lord, I want to be led of the Spirit. I want to be sensitive and tender to the Spirit. So pray that the Spirit would give you a greater degree of wisdom as you go through life. And apply yourself to God's Word so that you would know more of God's truth that the Spirit could reveal to you more of what it means to be led of the Spirit and walk in truth. Privilege, yes. Responsibility, absolutely. And last, have peace. Have peace. There's never a reason to go through life and think, oh, the devil's going to get me. I know it. Somehow I'm going to get in that bag of flies, man. He's going to get me by the last. No, no, because you and I have faith and we believe that our paraclete is going to keep us until the end. Jesus said, Jesus commands, have peace. Have peace. So this false advocate works false signs and wonders, preaches a false gospel, but he seeks to establish a false kingdom. 
He seeks to establish a false kingdom. Verse 15. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Lad says on this, here, is, here the crucial issue is made clear. The conflict is not between religion and no religion, nor between one religion and another. It's between Christ and the Antichrist. It's between God and Satan. Um, the curtain is, is pulled back in the end. And, and what do we see in the end times? That every world religion, every secular ideology, I think, I think funny enough, even atheism itself, in the end, everything will, will, will be seen to be a tactic of the enemy. In the end, we'll see the puppet master, Satan, behind all this. And in the end, this, this false prophet, this, this second beast, this advocate is going to demand complete and total loyalty. This uh, image that they're told to make, it's, it's of the Antichrist, somehow it's demonically animated. It's a, it's a vessel, it's a force to represent Satan. And, and the second beast uses it to demand worship on pain of death. It's pretty serious. It's an it's a all or nothing commitment to Satan's kingdom. And then we're told that um, there's a mark, there's a brand. Now that same Greek word is used uh, for branding like animals, um, branding slaves, uh, religious tattoos in ancient times, even like documents. And in other words, he's going to require, he's going to demand a mark on you that can't be taken off. This, this second beast is going to demand complete and total irreversible loyalty. Irreversible loyalty. Take the mark, die and or starve if you don't. So it's truly a kingdom that stands opposed to Jesus' kingdom in every way. And we're reminded of this truth that we've seen so often in Revelation and that you see it all throughout the Bible. There really is two kingdoms. And we can't be part of both. Can't be part of both. The kingdom of Satan, the, the religion of this beast, the Antichrist, the false prophet, the dragon... It's a kingdom built on fear. It's a kingdom built on brute force. And it's a kingdom built on deception. Well, how could it, how could it not be? Jesus says in John 8.44, speaking to the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So be sure of it, friends. The day will come when anyone who stands against King Jesus and his eternal kingdom, they will suffer horribly, but not because Jesus is tyrannical, but because Jesus is executing just judgment as the judge against those who, who broke God's good laws. How did Jesus, though, establish His kingdom on earth? Did He come with a sword? No, Jesus built His kingdom on love, sacrifice, and truth. Do you remember being brute forced by Jesus into faith? No, Jesus wooed Him to Himself through the power of the Gospel. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whomever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Did, did the Spirit, the, the true Advocate, did He force any of us into submission? 
No, He graciously changed our wills that we would of our own volition choose and love and desire Christ. The Gospel of Jesus communicates judgment and punishment, but only so that you and I can be saved from it. For He loves to save sinners. This is what the Spirit compels, friends. Not, not for servitude, but change desires. Clear vision of truth and error. Not just to see it, but to walk in it. To desire God from the heart. And that's to our eternal joy. So God's Spirit, the true Advocate, shows us truth, but then because He abides in us, He gives us power to actually walk in truth. So you and I always, as citizens of that kingdom, you and I have a daily, we have a daily obligation, a special task to see to it that we're bearing Christian fruit in character and in deed. You and I should take special care daily that we're not just paying lip service to Jesus, but service of life if we have the Spirit. For we have been lovingly wooed to that kingdom. Not beaten, not dragged, not forced. That's the grace of God. Paul says this in Romans 8, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Yes, Christ's kingdom has overwhelmed you and me. But with the power of the Word and the love of God. And that's the kingdom that will stand the very end and on throughout eternity. I read this week that, um, I, don't know, I guess lumberjacks is an old word, but mills pass by larger trees in exchange for smaller ones. And you'd think, if you didn't know better, that they're missing out on opportunity for more wood and a bigger tree, but they know most of those bigger trees are hollow and rotten. So like in storybooks, you see like a raccoon or something living up in the big tree. Looks great, but it's weak. And it's soon to fall, though it has an outward exterior that appears to be one thing. I want to challenge us this evening, church. Let us not pay lip service to Jesus, yet our inward heart, our, our spirit, is devoted to a different kingdom. What do I do? The Apostle Paul simply says, Walk in the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, it's a matter of obeying. If you have God's Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Resist the flesh. You can do it and you must do it. Let your life be lived under a microscope so that you may see those darker parts of your heart. And Chase alluded to this in what he was talking about as we were worshiping. Repent. The work of weeding out sin is never done, friends, until we're in glory. And if you have God's Spirit, you're not happy to have some part of you that's pleasing to Satan or some part of you that fits in with the kingdom of Satan. I want to be holy because I belong to Jesus' kingdom. I don't want to yell at my wife or my children. I don't want to have a wrong thought. I don't want to have a wrong desire and kind of push it out like, eh, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. Because it doesn't look like Christ. And I'm His. Let us not be found to be hypocrites today. Certainly not in the day of judgment. Last thing. The false advocate gives false assurance. The false advocate gives false assurance. Verse 18, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is six, six, six. So this is, this is probably the most infamous uh, little verse in Revelation. You know, it's been used, you know, in Hollywood horror movies or this, that, and the other all the time. Um, but th this has to do with what's called in ancient times uh, gematria. 
Um, and that is kind of a, a system or code of associating um, certain numbers with certain letters. So if you were to write out a few different numbers, you could correlate that to the letter it was supposed to be, and then you would have this, this you know, code that um, the writer is intending. Um, Lad says, neither the Greek nor Hebrew tongues use a system of numbers. Instead of numbers, the letters of the alphabet stood for numbers. For example, A would equal 1, B would equal 2, C equals 3, and so on. Thus, a name could be converted into its corresponding letter. Um, a wall scribbling found from Pompeii reads, I love her whose number um, is 545. So, so for centuries, the last two millennia, people have tried to take Hebrew and Greek and use this kind of gematria and come up with that name, right? And you can come up uh, with, with Nero or you could come up with different, you know, rulers or you can come up with um, the Roman Empire. It's not, it's, not, it's not really a sure thing. And I thought it was interesting, one, one commentator had said, Irenaeus, who, who was not that far removed from the disciples, you know, that ancient church, he wasn't that far removed and he was stumped. So it probably is a mystery that only John and his living companions really knew exactly what he meant by that. But what I found most compelling considering this um, is, it, is it very well maybe not really a, a name, so to speak, at all. If, if it's true that seven is the number of perfection, as we've said many times in this, in this series, then it would mean that Satan falls short of the perfection of Christ three times over. As one has said, it, it's failure upon failure upon failure. Satan's attempt to emulate the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, his attempts to overtake the Garden of Eden and deceiving mankind, his attempts to overthrow the angels, his attempts to stop Jesus and the work of the cross, everything has come out to be in the end short of perfection. And the, the mark that he can imprint on his subjects is an imperfect seal. Yet, it's true for you and I this, that our true advocate seals us with a perfect seal, even himself. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glorious grace. You and I for believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ and having uh, the indwelling true advocate, we are forever identified with the kingdom of Jesus that stands forever and we're promised the possession of it. Our true advocate then gives us true knowledge into right and wrong and protects us from deception. Our true advocate walks with us in truth and empowers us and sanctifies us and changes us that we would have the very presence and power of Christ manifested in us and in perfection someday in glory. And third, friends, He gives us not false assurance, but every true assurance by the power of the cross and the empty grave that we are sealed with the love of Jesus forever and we can have assurance of eternal life and victory in Jesus. That's what our paraclete does. If you jump to Revelation chapter 14, the very next chapter, first verse, get a different picture. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with Him 144,000 who had His name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound 
of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harp. And they were singing a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures, and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Friend, we see a beautiful picture of God's people who've been sealed with the Spirit and ultimately have the name of the Father and the Son written on them, and they are standing with the Lamb who was slain, victorious on Mount Zion. And I want to say to you, you have every reason to have that assurance and to have that peace if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. For His Spirit, the true advocate, the paraclete, He keeps you and He preserves you. And it's all to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's all to the glory of the Father. Lord, we read these words and we need, we need the faith not to just believe on them, but to live out of the implications of them. That all truth and all righteousness has been made known to us. But Lord, also, Father, that your spirit is changing us from one degree of glory to another. That we may truly be like Christ standing above the fall of man, standing above every sin, standing above the fallen world, standing above Satan and his schemes, in Christ Jesus, we're found standing in victory. What a wonder. What a marvel. Oh, Father, what a divine gift of grace that you have given to sinners so unworthy. So, Lord, we don't want to for a minute just Read this. It's just another passage. It's another sermon. Oh, Lord, here we find such grace. Here we find such rich truth of your love, your unmerited love for sinners like us. And it's because you have loved us that we love you back. So, Lord, we want to say, as as weary and faulty as we are, we love you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for saving us. And thank you that by the true advocate, you're keeping us. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.